Let's bow our heads now and pray for God to teach us as we study his word. In Job 23, Job says, I have treasured the words of God's mouth more than my daily bread. Father, please make us like Job. Help us to treasure your words more than the food we eat. We pray that we would take your word to heart and apply it to our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen. It would be easy, I think, for an atheist comedian to treat the chapter I've just read like a dartboard for throwing 21st century zingers at. There's plenty of material in Genesis 19, as you've just heard, that could potentially be held up for ridicule. But Jesus doesn't use Genesis 19 as a dartboard. As we heard in our first Bible reading from Luke chapter 17, Jesus speaks of Lot and Lot's wife as real people. Jesus treats what happens in this chapter as real history. And Jesus urges his disciples to learn from the events described in this chapter. We need to approach Genesis 19 with the same seriousness and reverence as Jesus. Aside from the end of the passage, everything that happens in the chapter takes place within 24 hours. An evening, a night, and a morning. And those are the headings we'll use to take us through the sermon, beginning with evening. Evening. If you were here last week, you'll remember that Abraham received three visitors sent by God. They spoke for God. They represented him. Here at the start of chapter 19, two of those three visitors arrive at the gate of Sodom. Verse 1 says, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting at the gate. Lot was Abraham's nephew. And just as Uncle Abraham had shown the angels hospitality earlier that same day, so nephew Lot now gives them a similarly warm welcome. He invites the angels to come to his house where they can get cleaned up after their journey and have a good night's sleep before going on their way the following morning. But the angels say they're planning to spend the night in the town square. Back in chapter 18, they had told Abraham they were going to Sodom to see if things there were as bad as they had heard. So perhaps spending the night in the town square is part of their investigation. When Lot hears their plan, he strongly urges the angels to stay with him instead. It's possible he's just being super polite. But it seems more likely that Lot knew what would happen to them if they spent the night out in the open in the middle of the town. When you look at it that way, those words at the start of verse 3, he strongly urged them, are disturbing. They're like a scene early in a horror movie, that scene where we first start to feel things aren't the way they should be. That scene when we first sense there's something threatening just out of view, something terrifying getting ready to pounce. 
If this were a horror movie, then as Lot strongly urges the visitors to stay with him, we might see some crows on the branches of a tree flapping and croaking. We might see curtains twitching in the windows of neighbouring houses. We might see the visitors looking at each other with alarm as they hear the urgency in Lot's voice. For a while, the tension is broken. The strangers agree to go back with Lot to his house, and Lot prepares a feast. It seems as if they're safe from any danger. They're in the warmth of Lot's house, with the smell of freshly baked bread filling the air. They eat and drink and talk without disturbance. But as that pleasant evening is coming to an end, as they're thinking about lying down to sleep, they hear the sound of voices outside. And that brings us to our next heading. Night. Night. All the men of the city have gathered around the house, surrounding it. In verse 5, we find out what they want, it says, And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may have relations with them. If there's any doubt about what they mean, verses 7 and 8 settle the matter. Lot has gone outside to speak to the men. And in verse 7, he says, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now, look, I have two daughters who have not had relations with any man. That same phrase. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Verse 8 shows Lot understands what the mob has come to do. The men of the city intend to rape the two visitors. Shockingly, Lot offers that crowd of men his own daughters in place of the two guests. There are reasons to think Lot may have calculated that the mob wouldn't actually agree to that offer. It may have been a kind of bluff but it's still an indefensible offer for him to make. Who can predict what a mob might choose to do, how a mob might respond to an offer like that? Imagine the terror that must have swept over his daughters inside the house when they heard their father making that offer. Now, Lot's guests are angels representing God. They can act with God-given power. As I said earlier, we know from Genesis 18 that they have come to Sodom to investigate after hearing reports of its wickedness. Isn't it now time for them to intervene? Haven't they already seen and heard enough by the end of verse 8? But for just a few moments longer, they continue their observations. After all, Lot has just said to the mob, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Maybe the mob will come to its senses and melt away. Maybe there's still hope for Sodom. But the mob stays right where it is. There's no one in the crowd who calls out, Come on, guys, let's go back to our homes. Lot's right. We're better than this. Instead, the men of Sodom heap abuse on Lot because of his foreign origins. They threaten him with an even worse fate than the one they're planning for the two visitors. 
and they surge forward to take hold of Lot and break down the door. From that moment, Lot's fate is sealed. Please look down to verses 10 and 11. But the men, that's the angels, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, from the small to the great, so that they became weary of trying to find the doorway. The angels then explain to Lot that Sodom is going to be destroyed, and Lot believes them. He's just witnessed a display of supernatural power. The word for blindness there in verse 11 isn't the usual word for blindness, and so Bible commentators think this was a temporary blinding caused by a dazzlingly bright light. Rather like the light that blinds Saul in the book of Acts. Lot would surely have seen that incandescent light flaring through the cracks in the doorway and the curtains, briefly lighting up the inside of the house. So Lot knows the angels have supernatural power, and at this point in time, he has no difficulty in paying heed to their warning. When the angels tell him to gather anyone else who belongs to him in the city, such as a son-in-law, Lot goes out to those menacing streets on a rescue mission. He finds his sons-in-law, but he can't get them to take him seriously. He says to them, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is destroying the city. But verse 14 tells us he appeared to his sons-in-law to be joking. They think it's a practical joke. The ancient equivalent of that viral video where a guy picks up his sister from a wisdom teeth operation and uh, while she's still woozy from the anesthetic, he persuades her the zombie apocalypse has begun and she believes him and says a lot of funny things and the whole family ends up on Ellen. Lot's sons-in-law don't want to fall for that kind of gag. They laugh at him. Nothing he can say will persuade them, and so Lot goes back home empty-handed. It's time for our next heading. Morning. Morning. When Lot arrives back at the house, all of a sudden it's his turn to fail to treat God's warning with the seriousness it deserved. Take a look at verse 15 and the start of verse 16. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. He hesitated. Lot was a believer in the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham. Elsewhere, the Bible insists that Lot was a righteous man, which means he was one of God's people. And yet something makes him hesitate when he hears the angels repeating their warning at the first light of day. There's plenty of evidence that Lot preferred city living to life in the open country. So it seems his love of worldly comfort there in the city of Sodom is making him reluctant to leave. Whatever the explanation, Lot lingers. And he, his wife, and his two daughters have to be forcefully pulled out by the visiting angels. Verse 16 says, 
So the men grasped his hand, and the hand of his wife, and the hands of his two daughters, because the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. Now the angels are about to leave Lot and his family, and so they give final instructions. They're set out in verse 17. Escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the surrounding area. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Lot then does some last minute pleading. He asks for permission to stay in a nearby town, to flee to a nearby town instead of the mountains. That's in keeping with Lot's character. Ever since chapter 13 of Genesis, Lot has chosen to live in or near prosperous, comfortable Sodom instead of living in the promised land of Canaan, like his uncle Abraham. One Bible commentator reflecting on Lot's past history and this request says this, Not even brimstone, that's the old word for sulfur, not even brimstone will make a pilgrim of him. He must have his little Sodom again if life is to be supportable. Not even brimstone will make a pilgrim of him. He must have his little Sodom again if life is to be supportable. Somewhat surprisingly, the angels grant Lot's request and Lot and his daughters make it to that safe haven named Zoar. But Lot's wife doesn't arrive with them. The angels had said, do not look behind you. But before Lot's wife reaches the safe haven of Zoar, she does look back at the city where she had been living for all those years. She ignores the warning, that salvation instruction, do not look behind you. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus mentions Lot's wife as an example of someone valuing life in this world more highly than the offer of salvation. Based on that insight from Luke 17, we can reconstruct what exactly is happening here. Lot's wife was longing for her old life instead of longing for salvation. And that frame of mind, that attitude in her heart, led her to disobey God's command. She turned around and looked back. When she looked back, she wasn't just glancing over her shoulder out of curiosity. No, she was looking back with a view to going back. That was her heart's desire. She wanted to hold on to her life as it had been instead of prizing salvation over everything else. That comment on Lot not even brimstone will make a pilgrim of him. He must have his little Sodom again if life is to be supportable. That's even more true of Lot's wife than it is of Lot. Because Lot did receive permission to flee to Zoar instead of fleeing to the mountains. If the angels had refused to grant his request, he probably would have done as he was told sighing and disappointment, no doubt, but following the angel's instructions. That seems very likely because ultimately he does end up in the mountains instead of Zoar. 
In contrast, Lot's wife never receives permission from the angels to look back longingly at Sodom, her home. When she does look back, despite the clear warning, she's caught up in the destruction. The angel had said to Lot, hurry, escape there, meaning Zoar, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. That means fire and sulfur won't fall until Lot makes it to Zoar. But once Lot and his daughters have arrived, well then the destroying angel can do something. Fire and sulfur rain down from above, turning the whole region into an arid salt plain. And Lot's wife, who is not in Zoar, with Lot and his daughters, because she's behind them, looking back longingly and lovingly at Sodom, she's caught up in the destruction. She becomes a feature of that newly desolate landscape. She becomes an outcrop of salt. There's one more heading before we apply the passage to our own lives. Aftermath. According to verse 30, Lot is too frightened to remain in Zoar, so he takes his daughters up to a cave in the mountains. Perhaps he thought Zoar would also be destroyed at some future point. Lot's fearfulness has consequences. His daughters look around them and realize they're totally isolated. There are no men. They want to keep the family line going from one generation to the next. But how are they going to do that up in the mountains, living in this cave? Their solution which in Bible times, as well as our own times, would have been considered unspeakably immoral, is to get their father so drunk on consecutive nights that without knowing what he's doing, he impregnates each of them, one the first night, the other the next. Both daughters give birth to sons, and those sons become the fathers of nations. The Moabites and the Ammonites, nations that will later be hostile neighbours, to the nation descending from Abraham, the nation through which the world will be blessed. Well, for the remainder of our time, we're going to explore what this passage means for us. And I'd like to start by speaking to anyone who's listening as a non-Christian this morning. You're on the outside looking in. Thank you for listening. Thank you for giving up your time to hear what we have to say. Please don't stay on the outside looking in. Jesus warns that destruction is coming. A comparable destruction to the destruction that fell on Sodom and Gomorrah. And he offers salvation to anyone who comes to him with faith. In today's passage, verse 16 says of Lot, the compassion of the Lord was upon him. Why was the compassion of the Lord upon this hesitating, lingering man, this man who offered his own daughters to the mob? It's because Lot like Abraham, had heard and believed God's promises of salvation. And ultimately, with the angel's help 
they grab his arm. He pays heed to what he has heard. He seeks salvation. God's promises of salvation find their fulfillment in Jesus, God's Son. When he died on the cross, the sulfur and fire of God's anger rained down upon him. Because on the cross, he died as a sacrifice in the place of others. God sent him to that death out of love for the world. So that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have eternal life. So if you are on the outside looking in this morning, trust in Jesus, in his death, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection from the dead. And those words in verse 16 will be true of you. The compassion of the Lord God will be upon you if you put your trust in Jesus. What about those of us who are trusting in him? Those of us who are following Jesus? Luke 17, verse 32, Jesus says to his disciples, to his followers, he says, remember Lot's wife. We heard it in our first Bible reading. The words of Jesus, remember Lot's wife. If you consider yourself one of Jesus' disciples, that's what he is saying to you today. Remember Lot's wife. She was one of that tiny group of four people pulled out of Sodom by the angels. Each of those two angels, two hands, was pulling a different person. There were four people pulled out of Sodom. So the angels, two arms, each of their two arms were pulling a different person. And she was one of that group of four. Everything needed for salvation was available to her. She was there among the remnant of saved believers until she wasn't. Because of her longing for her life in this world, she didn't take God's warning seriously, and as a result, she was caught up in the destruction of the wicked. She was cut off from God's people, and the destruction of the wicked fell upon her. What will it mean for us to take Lot's wife as a warning to us? What will it mean for us to remember her? We need to ask ourselves, what is it in this world, this current world, that attracts us so much it surpasses our desire for salvation? I wonder what comes to your mind when I ask that question. What is it in this current world that attracts you so much, that fills your heart with such longing, 
but it surpasses your desire for salvation. Whatever that is, it has the potential to draw you into disobedience. It has the potential to make you stop listening to God's salvation instructions. As Lot's wife stopped listening to those salvation instructions. Remember Lot's wife. A 19th century bishop named J.C. Ryle wrote a chapter in his book Holiness about Lot's wife. The chapter is titled, A Woman to Be Remembered. He says this in that chapter, There is mercy in God like a river, but it is for the repentant believer in Christ Jesus. There is love in God towards sinners, which is unspeakable and unsearchable, but it is for those who hear Christ's voice and follow him. Seek to have a saving interest in that love. Break off every known sin. Come out boldly from the world. Cry mightily to God in prayer. Cast yourself wholly and unreservedly on the Lord Jesus for time and eternity. That is what it means to remember Lot's wife. It looked as if she was among the saved remnant until it didn't look that way any longer because she was caught up in the destruction of the wicked. She stands as a warning to each one of us here. Well, as I think about this warning myself and about the destruction Jesus speaks of in the New Testament, he speaks of a place called hell where punishment goes on forever for the wicked. As I think about these things, I realize I need help. I need help in overcoming the desires in my heart for things in this world that would put my salvation at risk. And there is help in God. Let's look again at that verse 16 as we close. But he hesitated, so the men, the angels, grasped his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters because the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. There is help in God. There is compassion in God. By the power of his Holy Spirit, he can strengthen us to say no to whatever it is in this world that threatens our salvation. We can help one another. The tagline for our church is proclaiming the gospel together Pursuing godliness together, we can help one another to remember Lot's wife and keep paying attention to God's salvation instructions. There is one more thing I need to say before finishing, which is that it's not just the violence of the mob in Sodom that is sinful. It's also the same-sex aspect of the mob's intentions. The New Testament book of Jude says that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah 
went after unnatural flesh. They went after unnatural flesh, meaning their own sex, other men. The whole Bible testifies that sex is for marriage, marriage between a man and a woman. When someone says, why in the world does God care about what two consenting adults do in the privacy of their own room? The answer is that God hasn't put us in his creation to live however we please. He's put us here to live life his way, a life that is for his glory and for our own good. I can think of two friends of mine who would openly say that they are much more attracted to their own sex than the opposite sex. And they are remaining celibate out of obedience to God. My guess is, if I asked them that question, what is it in this world that could become so attractive to you that it would threaten your eternal salvation? My guess is they would say, having sex with someone of my own sex, having gay sex. So they need to remember Lot's wife and resist that longing which threatens their salvation. They need to keep listening to God's salvation instructions. He calls on us to live life his way by the power of his spirit. It's possible that desire is a desire for someone here, I don't know. But know that there are others in the same position who have found strength from God to live life his way. should also be said that sexual sin is a grave danger for opposite sex attracted people as well and we too need to resist the attraction of sex outside of marriage marriage between a man and a woman and with those solemn words let me close in prayer Heavenly Father, we come to you as needy people. We are conscious of our help. We ask you to grip our hand like the angels gripped the hands of those four people in Sodom and pulled them out. Please keep hold of us. Keep pulling us all the way to eternal life with you, with Jesus. We praise you and thank you for the forgiveness and salvation we have through him. We pray that anyone here not yet trusting in Jesus would come to him and receive his mercy and compassion. In his name we pray. Amen.